Hi, this is Ricardo, pastor of Journey Church Ventura. Thanks for taking the time to listen to our podcast. Hope you're having a great week. We hope it's life-giving and life-changing. Take care. First, let me do a, a little bit of a confession. I am in a little bit of a, a slumpy mood. Um, the Seahawks lost yesterday. And uh, <clears throat> I know, I, I hear some jeers and jeers out there. And <laughs> you deserve it. <laughs> we did deserve to lose. We played terrible. But um, so my heart is hurting. And uh, I won't ask you to pray because it's just a game. All right? <clears throat> and so... Um, all that said, I'm excited for the Super Bowl. I'm actually going to, here's who I'm going to root for. Because our children's pastor, our children's director is a Green Bay fan, I'm going to root for Green Bay. All right? I can't root for the Rams. They just beat the Seahawks. So um, <clears throat> I'll root for the, the Green Bay Packers and see, uh, see what Aaron Rodgers can do. All right? That's enough of the frivol- frivolity of today. And I hope you're having a good morning so far. We are in a series called, wait, what? Can you do that to your neighbor say, wait, what? Because if you don't go, what? Then it's not right, okay? You can't be go, wait, what? Can't do that. You got to go, wait, what? And as soon as you do that, then it, it, you're, get, you're grasping the, the seriousness of the, of the um, message. Wait, what is about this? Wait, what is about the revelation that nothing is too hard for God? All he needs is willing people to act in faith and obedience to him. you believe that? Nothing is too hard for God. Now he's going to tell us to do things that are wait what moments. Those are wait what? You want me to do what? You want me to go where? You want me to speak to who? You know, you're going to, you're going to learn that, you know, puberty was an advantage to you because you, you've already gone through that high voice thing. And uh, we need to say that wait what? Because when we hear God speak to us, he's not going to speak to us in terms of what we are capable of. He is going to ter- speak in terms of what he is capable of. And if that's not bigger than we are, and if that's not greater than what we're thinking, and we don't go, wait, what? We're probably not hearing God's voice. We're hearing our own voice going, I can solve that problem. I can fix that problem. I can do that. Or I can't do that. I'm not capable of doing that. I'm not. And that's where we're going today with the message about, wait, what? Have you ever been told things about yourself that aren't true? Hmm? If you ever sang a song in front of your mom and uh, she said, you belong on uh, America's Got Talent, you've probably been told something that's not true. (laughs) Not everybody belongs there, right? I mean, you've been told some good things about yourself that aren't true, like you can sing like an angel when, you know, the devil doesn't even... No, no, I'm sorry. You, you may have been told some good things that may be not true. But most importantly, what we tend to stick on as human beings are the things that aren't true that are bad about us. Maybe you were told that you aren't lovable. Maybe you were told that you're stupid growing up and that you all along have begun to believe that you don't have the ability to understand or grasp concepts or learn or be educated. And I, I grew up in that kind of a context. I was never encouraged to go further in education. My dad was a police officer, and uh, he never, incur- he never uh, went for the promotion in his, in his career because he didn't believe in himself that he was a smart guy and could go past the test or study or take the college classes that were necessary to learn. And yet he was a very intelligent man. He was a very intelligent guy. And he kind of, the, the, my mom grew up in a, in a, in a, a, 
uh, a blue-collar family where she didn't, wasn't encouraged to go to college, wasn't encouraged to move further. That was all labor, which is nothing's wrong with that. Labor's good. Labor, working hard. My, my grandpa was a welder. Uh, my grandma was a nurse, but never was encouraged to move on, move on, move on. And so they were never told, you're smart. You can do this. You can move on. You can go forward. And, and as a result, um, <clears throat> we were never encouraged to do that. I, I, I went to high school in Saugus, California, just uh, 40 miles down the road, and uh, never read a book in, in, in high school except for the Bad News Bears. And that's just because it was entertaining, but never read a book in full. I was never encouraged to think that I was a- able to be educated. And when I, when I was called into ministry and I heard that in order to go into ministry, you need to educate yourself and you need to kind of go through this college process, I was like, oh, nope, nope, that's not a calling. And God said to me very clearly, you, you're going to do this. And uh, went through it, got my degree, in, in, in uh, a BA degree in ministry and and been in ministry ever since, and it's been awesome. And not, it was like 20 or 25 years later, I ended up getting a master's degree, and uh, not because of anything I'm capable of, but because of what God is capable of in me. I, I, I won't declare I'm some brainiac or anything like that. Uh, I'm a professor today in a university. That's a miracle all in itself. That's a God thing. It really is. And so um, I believe that God is able to do things that we don't believe about ourselves. And I think too often we believe things about ourselves that are limiting, that are, that are canceling us out, that are, are taking us out of opportunity, that God is saying, you're going, wait, what? You want me to do what? You want me to do where? You want me to... Yes, God is saying, yes, I want you to do great things. You, maybe you've been told you won't amount to anything. You're too messed up. You've made too many mistakes. You, you, you've made wrong turns and, and, and you've gone backwards in life. All of those things God doesn't care about. What he cares about is that you say, okay, I believe in you, God, not I believe in me. Because it's not about what we believe in ourselves. It's what we believe about him. That's why theology is so important is because if we have an accurate picture of God, then our God doesn't shrink. Our God gets bigger and bigger and bigger. When we have an accurate picture of who the Almighty God is, who an omnipresent God is, who is ever-present, who is always there, who is omniscient God, who knows everything, omnipotent God, who is all-powerful. When we understand those theological realities, then we can believe that God is, it's not about you and me. It's about him and what we understand about him. It's a powerful reality. So the big thought today is this. We're going to look at the story of Gideon. And uh, I think I'm going to get about halfway through that story. But we're going to talk about this, this, this simple idea. This wait what moment is wait what will always challenge our identity. Wait what will always challenge our identity. Wait, what? Am I capable of that? No. Wait, what? Am I that smart? No. Wait, what? Can I move mountains? No. Can, wait, what? Can I deliver the, the people of Israel out of the hands of the Midianites? No. No, he can't. But God can. But God can. Wait, what? Can I pay these bills that have, have, have gotten so much bigger than myself? Uh, no, probably not. You may have made some mistakes, but is God capable and able to help you get out of that mess? Yes. Yes. Can you be a giver in the kingdom of God? Yes. Can you be a life transformer in the kingdom of God? No, not in yourself, but yes, in the name of Jesus. Do you believe that? 
So the big thought is that God is, wants us to deal with our identity. And it's not so much uh, of, about us believing in ourselves, but believing in God. And so how do we overcome these wrong messages? How do we overcome this, this stuff that has come our way over time and has messed us up in our belief about what God is capable of or what we are capable of? And I think the first admission is simply this, is that uh, we can't do anything without God. He makes that very, very clear in the New Testament where he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. But with me, nothing is impossible. <laughs> that's amazing. That's good stuff. Man, pastor, that's good preaching right there. Keep it up. All right. <clears throat> in Judges chapter 6, verses, verse 1, it says this. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. So we're talking about a group of people that gave themselves to evil. They did evil in the eyes of the Lord. If you read through the entire book of Judges, that was a pretty, uh, it, it became a habit of the Israelites that without leadership and without people that were there to tell them what the, what the Bible was all about and what God has done in the past and to remind them that they have a covenant relationship with God to, to stay right with God, they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And that's pretty typical of humanity. We're all capable of kind of running off the cliff when we don't have guidance, when we don't have leadership, when we don't feel like we're in right relationship with God. We all tend to kind of go our own way. And, and, that's, and, and that's a reality. But in, in the same respect, we all need to understand that when we do go the right way and we put our trust and faith in God, then God guides us in the path of blessing instead of cursing. And so the, the setting is simply this, is that the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. The Midianites for seven years were oppressing the, the, the Israelites. In fact, so much so that the Israelites ran into the hills and hid in these caves and tried to uh, live their lives in caves so that the Midianites couldn't uh, come and take everything. But the Midianites every year would come along. As soon as they grew their crops, the Midianites would come in and they'd smash their crops. They'd ruin things. They'd, they'd take everything away. And so then it'd take another year to kind of build everything back up. And it felt like a con continual and constant futility. It felt like just this ugly experience in life. And so in verse 6 it goes, and it says, Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to help, uh, they cried out to the Lord for help. Isn't that true of most of us? When we get in the, in the deep stuff, right? When we get into the, the, the deep doo-doo of life, if you will, is that okay to say? Um, when we get in it, we, we call out for help. We, we come to the end of ourselves. Oh, God, I need you. I need you. I've gotten myself messed up. And, and uh, the Israelites were sent a prophet. When they prayed this prayer, when they called out to the Lord for help, they, they were sent a prophet. And the prophet was simply there to remind them that they had not followed the covenant relationship that God had met with them, had made with them. And so when, when that happened, God, it, it isn't that God uh, uh, abandoned them. It was, in fact, what, um, what God is saying is simply this, is that I have uh, been disciplining you because you have walked off the path. And if you're a parent, you know this. You know what this is like. You, you, you see your child going the wrong way. And if they go the wrong way after telling them several times not to, what happens next? The first one is like, honey, don't do that. That Mack truck will run you over and squish you. And, and, they, they, you know, and then they keep going. And pretty soon, there's got to be this moment where there's some pain involved. 
Because if there's no pain involved, the memory gets lost, right? And so God is disciplining his kids. This is a loving action of God. It's not a, it's not a uh, this God is evil and he just doesn't like the Israelites and he's just being mean to them and he's just punishing them. If you read throughout scripture, you see these moments where God continues to let the Israelites kind of experience their pain. That's discipline. That's not God walking away. That's not God giving up. That's not God. And if you feel that way today, you feel like, man, I've made too many mistakes. Man, I've walked too far down a, a wrong path. Man, I've messed up too much. There's too many mistakes for God. No. God may let you sit in it for a little while and let you experience that pain but, and, and, and maybe discipline you to, to the degree that you get to that point where you're at the end of yourself and you're going, I got to call out to the almighty God, the only one that really, really, truly loves me. And so he, he, uh, he sends the prophet and the prophet says, hey, you, you guys are messing up. And then in verse 13, <clears throat> Or in verse 11, we, we read this. And here's the powerful truth. He go, we, in this story, we go from Israel being oppressed by the Midianites to all of a sudden God doing something on behalf of their call to the Lord, an act of grace. And he does this in verse 11. He says, The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah, not to be confused with Oprah, okay? In Ophrah. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash, the, Abiez, the Abiezrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Okay, so most theologians believe that this uh, experience was um, the opposite of what Gideon believed about himself. Gideon believed that uh, he was a, a lesser person. If, and we'll, as we read along, we'll find that out to be true, that he thought he was a lesser person. But the angel of the Lord, which some uh, theologians believe it was Jesus himself, came in and sat down at the oak where Gideon is, is, is uh, working out all this wheat. And he's, <clears throat> he's working to uh, process the wheat so that the Midianites would not take it from him because every year the Midianites would come in and take everything from uh, the Israelites. And so here's Gideon hiding in, in a wine press, and he's in the wine press, and he's thrashing the wheat, and he's getting all the, the, the wheat out so that they can have bread at home, and, and they're do, he's doing all this work. And then the angel shows up and says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. He's being called a name that he doesn't believe about himself at all. And I think too often you and I define ourselves by our experience or by those messages from the past. You're no good. You're not smart enough. You don't have the goods to, to move forward. You don't have... Why would God use you? You've made too many mistakes. Why would... We hear those messages and all of a sudden they take... We think they've formed our character and that's the way God views us. But God doesn't view us through the lens of other people's voices or other people's opinions. He views us through his plan and purpose for our lives. And he doesn't see our ability, he sees his ability through a submitted vessel of, of uh, uh, a willing vessel. And so when we become a willing vessel, he's like, gotcha. Mighty warrior. Mighty warrior. And, and here's the crazy part of this. Uh, <clears throat> the first thing that, that Gideon does is he says... Um, Pardon me, Lord, where have you been? 
That's a funny question. He says, pardon me, Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, uh, when they said did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. Remember, what he, he thought, his perspective was that the Lord had abandoned them, which was not true. The Lord was disciplining them, which is very, very different. We have to understand that. The Lord doesn't leave us when we make mistakes. He loves us, and He never stops loving us. And if you've made serious mistakes, if you are living in sin at this moment, God is not leaving you. He may be disciplining you. It may not feel pleasant. It may not feel good. In fact, it shouldn't. God will never let sin be a happy experience for us. But he will let us kind of sit in it for a little while and let us experience that. So what we see about Gideon, he wasn't listening to the sermon of the prophet. He, he didn't listen to what, what the, the prophet had already told the Israelites. And so now he's being called a mighty warrior. And it's powerful. And he says, uh, where, where have you been? What's going on, Lord? It doesn't feel like you're, you've been here. And um, <clears throat> the Lord turned to him and said, Go in strength you have and save Israel out of, the Midian, out of Midian's hands. Am I not sending you? Isn't it funny how he didn't answer his question? He didn't answer it. I don't owe you an explanation. I've already given you one through the prophet. I've already told you what was going on. You guys failed, uh, failed me in the covenant relationship. And as a result, you're under discipline. And so he, he, sa- he says, uh, go in, in the strength you have. And, say, and, and Gideon does not believe he has strength. Okay? Then he says, pardon me, my Lord, a second time. Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. So he's believing those past messages again. He's believing those, those things. Hey, uh, our tribe is not a very good tribe. And our family is not a very good family. And you'll find, find out why in just a minute. And uh, Gideon, you're a loser. You're a loser. And you'll find out why Gideon thinks he's a loser. Because he's not included in the family. He's not, he's not the, 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 the guy that everybody looks to in the family and goes, man, I want to be like you, Uncle Gideon. No, he's, he's the guy that, that is kind of the outcast. And uh, this is what I believe. When we realize we can't, that's when God knows we can. There's got to be a point where you and I understand that we can't. I can't be a pastor without God. We can't be a church without God. We can't impact this world without God. We can't make a single bit of difference without God. And with Him, we can do anything and everything that He calls us to. And so we must come to the end of ourselves. We must come to that point where we say, I'm a nobody. And it's this point where... uh, Gideon is like, I'm a nobody. I don't, I don't, I, no one likes me in my family. I, have, I belong to a weak tribe. Uh, I, I have a sinful country, uh, a nationality. I need help. And this is where we need to understand that God doesn't care who we think we are. He cares 
about who we think he is. Who we think he is. If you have doubts about who God is, he's going to do everything he can to show you himself. The first tool we have is his word. The first tool we have is the Bible. If we read through the Bible and we believe that that Bible is a revelation of of God to us, then we understand as we read it that every time you read a miracle, he's showing you something about himself. That's what takes the the boring part out of the scripture is when you start reading it as a letter and he's saying, okay, I'm going to part the Red Sea right here in this story with Moses. Then you all of a sudden see he's an almighty God that has the ability to deliver an entire nation from Egypt. You begin to see how powerful he is. And that power of God is what we lean into. When we experience his joy, when we experience his love, when we experience his grace, when we're at the end of ourselves, we have the privilege of understanding that God is all-powerful. And so the second time he says, I'm, I'm, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh. I am the least in my family. Then the Lord says, the Lord answered, I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites leaving none alive. So he doesn't answer his question again. He doesn't go, oh yeah, you are the part of the weakest fan, you know, tribe. You are a kind of a loser. And, uh, you know, I, you're, the, you're my last pick. He didn't do that. He didn't do that. He said, dude, you're my guy. You're my guy. You're the one who is going to do this. So just be quiet. And Gideon replied, If now I have found favor in your eyes, dude, come on, give me a sign. God is the most patient God in the world. I mean, he is the most patient dad of all times. You know, if you tell your kids, how how quickly do you lose your temper or do you lose your patience with your children when they're like, "Um, can you explain that one more time? Or do you have that why, child? Why? Why? Why do they do that? Why? 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 Uh, because I said that's why, you know? You just kind of come down to that. But God is super patient. If, I, if, if now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Dude, an angel of the Lord just showed up at the threshing floor. So, so somehow God is so personal that Gideon still has doubts. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, this is powerful. I will wait until you return. I love that. I love that. So Gideon goes and he prepares this meal, which is something I would do with God. I say, God, can we just eat? (laughs) Can we just eat? Can I bring something in and just love you and eat with you? And so he goes and he prepares this entire meal and he... uh, and he, he, it's a, a, uh, some meat, some, some goat, and some uh, bread, and the, and the broth. And um, it's, it's really, really good. And so um, in verse 20, it says this, The angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened bread, place them on this rock, and pour out the broth. And Gideon did so. The, watch this. The angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread with the tip of the staff that was in his hand. Fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread, and the angel of the Lord disappeared. It's kind of imagine this. It's like 
Gideon brings it, puts it on top of the rock, the, 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 the very well-prepared goat meat. The bread is on, on there. It's unleavened bread. And then he pours the broth over that. It just sounds really delicious. It almost sounds like a carne asada with fresh beans, fresh rice, and some corn tortillas. Maybe handmade by abuelita. And then a little bit of asada sauce poured over the top of that. Some gravy, all right? De La Cruz is just down the road. They're giving me a kickback on this one. All right. And it, he puts it there, and then the Lord goes, puts the staff on there, and, and it just goes poof. And then he disappears. You seen that on, on like commercials where you see the smoke could just go, whoosh, and then the person's gone? Right? Can you imagine that just being kind of a, a, a cinematography uh, where it, it just becomes like this poof? And the offering's gone, and then the Lord's gone. It's a powerful moment. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Alas, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. And Gideon freaks out because, oh no, I just saw God. And what the Israelites believed in those times is that if you saw God at any point, in any way, you would die. But the Lord said to him, and I don't know how he said it to him, Peace, do not be afraid. You are not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord and there, uh, an altar to the Lord there, and called it the Lord is peace. We, we, we uh, use the word shalom. That's Jehovah shalom. That's what he said. And the Lord is peace. To, to this day, it stands in Ophrah of the Abiezrites. So there's this altar there. Now here's one powerful reality. Whenever we have a revelation of God, there should be a response of worship. Whenever we have a relation of God, that, that's what uh, Gideon decided to do. Is he, he decided that he, it, because he just saw God, he would make an altar of worship. And I think it's really powerful reality that as soon as we become, uh, when, whenever God becomes real in our lives, there's a moment where we go, oh God, you are amazing. I think it's uh, really powerful when we take uh, kind of a, a, an audit of our lives and God's involvement in our lives, and we go, that's where he was. Thank you, God. That's where he was. Thank you, God. That's where he was. Thank you, God. We can look at all the fingerprints of God, and each fingerprint of God should be a worship place, should be a worship moment. My, my grandma living with me and praying for me and pointing her little scrawny finger at me and saying, mijo, I have to pray for you because someday you're going to serve God. That's a God moment that I praise him for, that I had a, a, a grandma who would pray for me until I got saved. And two weeks after I got saved, she died. And I believe that the Lord just kept her alive, just keeping the angels busy. Lord, work on Ricardo, work on Ricardo, work on Ricardo. And I think that's powerful. That's reality. And today, I serve the Lord, not, uh, not because of my own work, but because of prayers that were lifted up year after year after year. And so, Gideon, he builds this altar. Then he's told by God, and I'm going to kind of screen through the rest of the story. He, he, he's told by God to go remove the idols of his uh, father of his family. One of the reasons most people believe that he was the least in his family is because he wasn't an idol worshiper. But everybody else was, and they had big Baal uh, altars to, to Baal and Asherah poles that were um, um, <clears throat> immoral goddesses and, and, and activities that went on in worship. And 
the, the family was all involved. And so uh, Gideon was told to go remove the altars. And so he began to do that. And he, he did that by uh, taking a bunch of his assistants and they went and they tore down these altars and they built a new altar. They took the, the wood from the Asherah pole and used it as, a, as an altar to burn uh, the offering to the Lord. And right there, he replaces the altar and he tears down. When we, when we want to face the enemy, we first have to face the sin in our own lives. Don't expect that you're going to have any strength to face an enemy until we face the one within. And, and Gideon was being called to face an enemy that was far bigger and, and stronger than, than the Israelites, the Midianites. And if he was going to face that, he first had to face what was inside. He first had to right the relationship. And it, it, some of us want to go out and do great things for God and still mix up ourselves with the, with the world. And we can't do that. And so we have to deal with what's inside before we can go and, and fight what's outside. That doesn't mean we have to be perfect. It doesn't mean we have, we're, none of us are going to be perfect. But it does mean that we have to take what's rooted on the inside and get it out and do everything we can to uh, develop the altar of the Lord on the inside first. And so they did that, and uh, the crowd got really upset. They were mad. Uh, all of Joash's family, um, all of Gideon's family was upset with Gideon. They wanted to kill him. And then Joash, Gideon's dad, said, hey, if, if Baal is real, then, then uh, Baal will, will, will fight my son. He'll defeat the enemy. He'll, he'll defeat uh, Gideon. So let's just leave him alone. I don't know what happened here because there's this weird transition that happens is where um, right when that happens, right when Joash says, hey, Baal will fight my son, then Gideon says, hey, let's all get together and go fight the Midianites. And they say, okay. So I don't know what happened here. Uh, All of a sudden, there must have been some kind of huge revelation. I think that when God does something on the inside of us, people on the outside see it. And I think there's a powerful reality that needs to happen inside of us, that when we uh, are delivered, when we're set free, when we're given that, that hope, that joy, that strength, that calling by God, people begin to see it and go, I want to be a part of that. And so um, the Midianites and Amalekites and all the otherites were getting ready together to go and pillage the Israelites one more time. And this is when uh, Gideon says to, the, to all of the tribes uh, around him, he says, hey, let's go fight the, the Midianites. And I'm going to cruise through the rest of the story because I think what we really need to hear is this identity piece. But Gideon uh, calls on the people, 32,000 people come together to fight the Midianites. And what we understand is that there's a, as many as 135,000 Midianites. So already there's a... a, a, a uh, a lack of, of fairness in the fight. Uh, the Israelites only have 32,000, which sounds like a lot, but then there's 135,000 of all these other nations gathered together to come pillage the Israelites. And so um, Gideon decides, gets all these people together, and God says, no, um, it's a little too big. Your army's a little too big. You got 32,000 people. Uh, that's, that's way too many. And so the first thing he says is, okay, uh, if, if any of you are afraid, leave. Okay, because you don't want people in your, in, your, uh, in your army that's afraid, right? And so 20,000 people left. 
20,000 people left. <laughs> and so now you're with 12,000. And God says, uh, that's still too big. Like what one pastor called this, he goes, this is a Gideon's revival. And, and uh, uh, some people call that uh, why churches shrink sometimes is because too many, there's too many people in fear. There's too many people in sin. And we've got to get all that out so that we, the faithful remain. And then we go crazy reaching a, a community for Christ. Um, we can call it whatever we want, but God is calling all of us to be faithful to him no matter what. And so the, they, they narrow this whole thing down. There's a whole story behind this. They narrow this whole thing down to 300 people. 300 people. And there's so much to this story that I'm not going to go into because of time. But there's so much that goes into that. You have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands or Israel would boast against me. My, my own strength has saved me is, is what God was afraid of. And what God knew Israel would do if he gave a whole lot of people the ability to go deliver Israel from the hands of the Midianites. So they narrow it all down to 300 people. Gideon gets these 300 people together and God says, let's go uh, attack the, the, the Midianites. And I'm leaving it, some stuff out. You, 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 you may have heard about Gideon's fleece. He puts a fleece down and says, God, if this is really you telling me all this, then uh, will you just put a fleece? So he gets uh, some, some wool. He puts it out on the ground and uh, says, God, let the, just the wool be wet and the ground be dry. And God does it. He patiently does it. And then he says, okay, that was good, God. Now, if you could just do the opposite. If the ground could be wet and the wool dry, that would be really cool too. And so God is like really patient about this whole thing. And, and God does it. And he continues to prove himself. Remember, you, God is more concerned about what you think of him than what you think of you. If we will just understand that we are nothing without him, we aren't smart enough without him. We don't have the capacity to achieve without God. Okay, and I'm not saying anyone here is stupid or anyone is dumb. And there are plenty of things as a human that we have the capacity to do. But with, we can't do what God wants without God. And that's what he wants. He wants that from every life at Journey Church Ventura. I believe with, with God's anointing and by God's power and by God's favor, he is doing something unique in our church, Journey Church Ventura, and hopefully other churches, to have a radical commitment to the cause of Christ and to do nothing but give ourselves totally to him to watch him make a difference in Ventura County and to go beyond that if he wills. But right now it's, it's us, and it, it's, it's us that needs to say, God, whatever you want, whatever you want. And so he, <clears throat> he gets all this confirmation I love what uh, John Wesley said. He says this about uh, the sacrifice that these people need to make. He said, John Wesley, he was a, a, an evangelist a long time ago. He said, give me a hundred men who fear nothing but sin and love nothing but God, and I will shake the gates of hell. Want to shake the gates of hell? Come on, let's do it together. Let's not give up. Let's not think of ourselves as unable. Let's think of ourselves as able because God said he would be in our lives. He is with us. And with him, we can do all things. And so Gideon gets his 300 people together and Gideon still has doubts. And Gideon says, um, if you're sending me down there, can you just give me another little sign? And, and uh, God says, if you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp where servant Pura 
uh, where you're with your servant Pura and listen to what they're saying. So he goes down, he sneaks down by the camp and there there's a couple people speaking and one guy has a dream that dreams about Israel coming and defeating the Midianites. And, and Gideon goes, Don. And so then God gives him a plan with these 300 people. He divides up the 300 people in 100, in 100, peop, uh, uh, 100 people units. And so all the, the 300 people go and surround the Midianites with a trumpet and with a jar. And they go to attack the Midianites. This isn't swords and guns and all the things that we think about in warfare. <clears throat> they go down with trumpets and jars of clay and their voices. And they walk down there and at night they surprise the Midianites and they blow the horns. Gideon is the first to blow his horn. Usually the leader is the first. And he blows the horn and then everybody else blows the horn. And then they break their, their jars of clay making all this racket. And then they say, uh, for the Lord and for Gideon, and the Midianites freak out. They all start killing themselves. And then they go, oh, wait, we're killing ourselves. And then they start running. And they run and they get chased and they get defeated by 300 people. 135,000 people. God is able to do anything. Nothing is too hard for God. And it doesn't matter who you are. It matters who God is. And that is the important part of what this message is all about. Yes, you guys, let's remember that. Let's not fear because of who we are. If we start looking at us in the mirror, it's like, nope, nope, can't do that. I'm going bald. It's too late, too long, too old, too weak. Can't do that. And that's not true. It's not true. There's nothing that's too hard for God. And God is calling all of us to participate in this life-changing experience that he wants to do in this community, in this county. And that is to reach hundreds, if not thousands of people for Christ. To baptize them in the name of Jesus. To baptize them and to lead them in a path of growing relationship so that we can enter into other journeys of those that have yet to experience God's love, grace, and forgiveness. That's the power of this message. That's the reason for this series of, wait, what? Because what you're hearing coming from my mouth is like, yeah, pastor, yeah, we've heard it before. We've heard pastors speak like this before. We've heard uh, get everybody excited about doing the mission. It, there's, there's got to be a time where we say, okay, I'm not, I'm not just taking this as, a, as a, a common message from a common pastor. Let's take this seriously. Let's take God seriously. Let's believe that he is the God that he says he is and he has the power that he says he has and that he wants to do what he says he wants to do and that is to reach people with the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Transform their lives. We want to transform our community. It won't be a political experience. It will be a spiritual experience. Yes. It's not politics that are going to save our lives or deliver us from the hand of the enemy. It is God. And if we want to change our community, it's going to be one by one by one by one as they are saved and delivered from their sin and set free from their captivities. Their marriages are going to be healed. Their kids are going to grow up in faith. And we're going to see people that have a power in their lives that we could never create ourselves. What this story tells us is that God is all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's gracious, and he's patient, thank God. 
It gives us four signs to help us see that. And that four signs is a burnt up offering, that poof moment. Where that offering is consumed and God disappears. The wet fleece, the dry fleece, and a dream that was given to Gideon to prove that God is real. Nothing is too hard for God. Your background doesn't matter. The messages you've received throughout your lifetime does not matter. Whatever the media, TV, commercials, all those kinds of things, we have to put them in their proper context. They are worldly worldly tools to get you to buy something not to believe in yourself they're not telling you to believe in god they're telling you that if you just wear this perfume you can be a a a superstar if you put this cream on your face all the wrinkles will go away if you just wear these boots the women will come flocking to you crazy stuff nobody's out there telling us if we just put our faith in god our marriages can be fixed. Our addictions can be uh, uh, set. We can be set free from those addictions. Our children can grow up in faith and not, not have these suicidal thoughts and all these things that go on. Your background doesn't matter. Your doubts don't matter. Your willingness to follow is what matters. For the church, we aren't too small to have a big impact. There aren't too many people to reach. We are weak, but he is strong. Remember that song? We are weak, but he is. My little granddaughter, Brooklyn, will go, strong. God's identity was not the issue in the story. Or, I mean, Gideon's identity was not the issue in the story. God's identity was. It's about who God is. I spoke a message years and years ago called, Honey, I Shrunk God. It's true. I do it often because I often make myself the God. Am I the solution? Am I the, am, I'm the one that, and, and when I become that, I shrink God. I, I don't believe in the, in the all-knowing, all-powerful, all, all of uh, ever-present God. And when I shrink him, then nothing is, is possible. What do you need in your life today that you're saying it's impossible? Well, who are you believing and, and, and going to reach in the next uh, year that you're, you're praying for and, and you just believe there's no way this person ever going to believe in God? And God's saying, yes, I want you to be the, pe- the witness to that person. I want you to be the testimony to that person. There's no one that you can't reach with God's help. There's no amount of work that we can't do with God's help. Uh, that we can't, is that right? Did that come out right? Sounded backwards in my head. Today, God wants us to stop looking in the mirror and start looking in the Bible for who he is. And yet you may, you may say, God, I need a, I need a proof. I need a fleece. Uh, I don't believe that's a, 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 theo- a theology um, that gives us a practice to always set out. I don't, because the fleece is really a lack of faith. A fleece is really a statement that says, God, I'm not sure I believe who you really are. I need you to prove yourself. Now, I think he's patient enough and sometimes uh, very patient enough to put up with us in that regard. He did with Gideon. But I don't think it's a theological practice we should all start doing. Let's all just put fleeces out. No, because what we're saying when we do is, God, I'm not sure you are who you say you are. Prove it. 
Let's believe him. Let's start now. Let's go. God is the God of the Bible. God is the God who, who split the seas. God is the God who made the blind see and the deaf hear and the, and the mute speak. He is the God who uh, strengthened ankles, as Peter said. I don't have anything but Jesus. And if you'll accept him, rise up and walk. And those ankles came back to strength. That's the God I serve today. And that's the God who wants to use you and me to reach this community for, G- for Jesus Christ. Lord, we come to you today. And we believe in this story. We believe that you are telling us that you are who you say you are. That there is no need for a fleece. There's no need for a a doubt. There's no need for fear. Because you are all-powerful. You are all-knowing. You are ever-present. And you will always be with us. And what you are calling us to do is is fully uh, possible with you. Without you, we can never do it. But with you, we can. So Lord, I pray right now for every doubting heart my own included, that you would elevate our faith, that you would lift us up and help us, Lord, not to look at ourselves, our own capability, our own reputation, our own fears, but look at you and help us see you in the fleece. Help us see you in the deliverance of the Israelites from the Midianites' hands. Help us to see you and what you can do with very few to accomplish a whole lot. Lord, I pray that the power of your Holy Spirit would move in us in such a way that we would see transformation in every aspect of our lives. In our faith, we would see us as called by you. We would see us as empowered by you, enabled by you, gifted by you. And Lord, by you, we will move in faith, seeing people come to you as, as, uh, to find you as their Savior. We thank you and we praise you. I pray for the broken marriage. I pray for the addicted uh, uh, body. I pray for the the troubled mind, the despairing mind, the depressed mind, the the anxious mind. In the name of Jesus, I pray that all of these things, the points of need, would be met in the name of Jesus and that you would heal the marriage, you would deliver the addict, that you would set free and give hope to those that are depressed and anxious. God, that you would help us all to know that there is nothing too hard for you, that you are capable of carrying us into the next day and seeing us battle the enemy. And Lord, we confess any sin that is in our lives right now. We remove the bales. We remove the Asherah poles like Gideon did. And we ask that you cleanse us so that we are prepared to be instruments of worship, instruments of of, uh, tools that will defeat the enemy, and that we will see great things happen. We give you thanks and praise for that. And we give you all the glory and all the praise in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen, and amen. Woo! Yes! you're here today and you don't know Jesus, we just want to give you one last opportunity. If you're on site or online, we just want to ask you to pray this prayer. Jesus died for you on the cross to forgive you of your sins. He raised three days later from the grave to promise us eternal life. And all he asks of us is that we would devote our hearts and our lives fully to him. If you want to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, have your sins forgiven, have the hope of eternal life, and have the strength that he gives through his Holy Spirit to live out this life, then I want you to pray this simple prayer. Dear Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I accept the work of forgiveness that you did on the cross. And I believe that you were raised from the dead three days later and today promised me the the hope of eternal life. And I commit to follow you for the rest of my life. And I will follow you with my whole heart. And I thank you for making me a family member, for giving me hope, and delivering me and saving me from my sin. 
In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to join your journey. And I hope the message made a big difference in your life. And if it did, we just encourage you to go to journeychurchventura.com and let us know. Also, be free to share this message with your friends and family. We just love to impact as many people as we can. Once again, thank you for joining us at Journey Church Ventura.